Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. down, said the man holding the blowtorch. A lot to talk about this morning, kids. It is the Late Kick Extra podcast. It is Wednesday, July 27th, the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Josh Pate. We do this audio-only version about once a week. And since there are tens of thousands of newbies around, which we welcome, we call you freshmen at Pate State. Since there are several of you around every week, I just feel the need to reiterate that. Uh, We are training headlong into what will be a very, very exciting college football season. I would highly recommend you don't take anything for granted. You never know what your sport will look like in five years. Cherish it. Every given Saturday. Cherish it. That is why we're calling this fall's tour the Every Given Saturday Tour. But that's in the future. As for this morning or this afternoon, wherever you're listening, thank you for doing so. This is a wall-to-wall, mailbag-only episode. It's your questions. It's my answers. All that. Plus, I may have a little Easter egg of an update about the late kickstorm coming up at some point in this here podcast. But, man, don't we have to start with what's happening in the Big Ten? Namely, over the past 24 hours, because I got inundated when I asked for questions with a lot of you wanting to know what I thought about Kevin Warren, who is the Big Ten commissioner, and his comments at Big Ten Media Days. Now, I'm not at Big Ten Media Days because, well, uh, I spent four days in Atlanta at SEC Media Days, and I'm tired of it. I hope that's a good enough reason for you. And so I am watching from down south in Nashville as Kevin Warren steps to the podium, and he says, I'm going to paraphrase here. I don't have the quotes pulled up, but he said, We've got to be active. We've got to be aggressive. We've got to do what's best for the Big Ten. The days of looking out for each other and collegiate athletics are gone. Blah, blah, blah. Now, in and of itself, what he said is not false. But then again, it's also not false for me to be holding the aforementioned flamethrower and bemoaning the fact that the forest is on fire. Well, who in the world's holding the flamethrower? Now, this is not a bash Kevin Warren episode because there's a lot of healthy blame to go around a lot of the administrative state of college football. But here's what you and I know, or at least 98% of you feel the way I do, I guess. Uh, There is a way that we like college football. There are things we like about college football. You and I may disagree on some of the more ancillary items. We may even disagree on how we think the playoffs should be structured. But the bottom line is there is no one listening to this show. There's no one I've ever come in contact with that I would associate as being a real fan of this sport that fundamentally hates its foundation. No one does. You wouldn't watch the sport. You would go find other means of entertainment if you hated the foundation. And so naturally, the last thing any of us ever wanted to hear was someone stepping to a podium in a position of authority and talking about how we have to fundamentally change or that the game is fundamentally changing whether you like it or not and you got to get on board and we, in a leadership position, we have to be aggressive. Yeah, not interested. You, you lose me really quick on that. Now, as you heard Sunday night, or if you listen to the replay in podcast form on Monday or Tuesday, if you heard what I said on the show, on Late Kick Live Sunday night, 
I, I understand what I'm saying here is kind of late to the party, although I've been saying it the whole time, but I understand there's no going back. I, this is not some podcast that is aimed at, aims to sing, Grandpa, tell me about the good old days. I like the Judds growing up, or at least I like that song, but this is not the time for that. This is not constructive. We have to have substantive thought around here, but here's what I will say. And what I'll say about my feelings, as you asked me about them, about the Big Ten Commissioner's comments there, I get really tired of hearing the people who are directly responsible for the change telling me that college athletics are changing and there's no going back. And I'm not just blaming Kevin Warren. To be very, very, very clear, I'm not blaming just Kevin Warren. It just so happens that Kevin Warren is the latest amongst that guilty party to say such things. Not the only one, just the latest one. I've gotten tired of that in general. You could you could talk about Greg Sankey. You could talk about a TV executive. You could talk about university presidents. In some cases, dragging their feet and not changing early enough in the areas where they should have changed, i.e., instead of acquiescing to simple requests 20 years ago and making sure that players were allowed stipends or NIL or you know whatever we would have called it back then, instead of doing anything back then, you remain stone-footed and then you deal with a tsunami of after-effect 20 years later, which is what we're looking at right now. I don't think people realize how historic in nature this period is because it's all happening in front of you. I've made it kind of metaphorically analogous, which is probably redundant, but I've made it analogous to being in the tornado and as it's going by. Picture the last scene in Twister. Bill Paxton, Helen Hunt holding onto that pipe, which they tell me was anchored at least 30 feet. That's why they had a chance. And imagine them being in the tornado and saying, all right, let's measure this thing. What kind of damage are we looking at? You can't do that because the tornado's right on top of you. You wait until after it's over. Could be an EF5 for all you know, but as you're in it, you don't know. Well, we're in the tornado right now. We have been for a while. Picture this, though, in 30 years when it's really, really safe to look back. I mean, imagine the stories they'll tell. I don't know what college football is. I don't know if college athletics are around in the classical sense at that point. But imagine telling your kid what the sport was like when you were growing up. But then all of these changes came at once. There was this thing called the transfer portal that opened up that will sound like something in outer space by then. And then it also coincided with college players weren't legally paid forever. And then all of a sudden, right as the portal opened up, something called NIL also came along. And it was all of a sudden legal to do what used to be illegal. Like overnight, these things happened. And then there was this great big debate about whether we should have an expanded playoff, because believe it or not, once upon a time we didn't have one, then we had the BCS, then we had a four-teamer for about a decade, and somehow no one was happy with that. And all of this was congruent. It was all happening congruently. And then came conference realignment, little Jimmy. Conference realignment. What does that mean, Dad? What is conference realignment? Well, you see the TV in front of you. You see USC. They're in East Lansing, Michigan on a beautiful Saturday afternoon. Uh, They didn't used to ever play on the banks of the Red Cedar because they used to be in something. (laughs) I get so sad. I have to laugh when I say this. They used to play in something called the Pac-12. What was the Pac-12? Well, little Jimmy, this was a world where they did play meaningful college football west of the Rocky Mountains and never had to go east of the Rocky Mountains to seek out conference opponents. Yes, they just... They sustained themselves right out there, even though they had beaches. Believe it or not, they weren't distracted enough. In pro sports, when they don't sell out those L.A. arenas and stadiums, it's because they have beaches and things to do. Well, there was a time where L.A., that Coliseum, was sold out because USC football was the biggest game in town, and they played teams like Oregon and Oregon State. There was a classic game against Fresno State out there one year, little Jimmy. 
Yeah, when you tell that story down the road, it'll be an entire novel. But when you tell that story, you're living it right now. All this churn, you're living it right now. And I think a lot more of you may be coming to realize why I take the attitude I do. I just basically enjoy the things that I am capable of enjoying. And all this stuff, all this drama, you know, even speaking as someone who has a national college football show, I just don't address a lot of it. I guarantee you, stemming from the comments about the playoff and how there may be a 16-team playoff, most college football shows, most sports shows out there in general tomorrow will do a segment on that in some shape, form, or fashion, which is fine. I'm not telling someone how to format their own programming. I'm just saying, me personally, I don't get caught up in the stuff that's not going to get solved tomorrow or the next day or the next day. And also, it does me no good to worry about it, especially when we have football on the horizon. We got camps opening this week in some locations. We got camps opening across the country next week. I'm not personally about to sit here and watch off-the-field matters suck the football oxygen out of the room again this year like it did last year when the whole OU Texas to SEC deal started to unfold. And we were halfway through August before people even realized, oh man, we're about to play football. Well, not here. But I think what I was going to say is a lot more of you are realizing why I take the approach with the postseason, for example, of just saying, whatever it is, it's whatever it'll be. I do radio hits across the country every week, and I get asked that a lot, and I'll give that response. And, you know, people who are on air, they'll want to know, wait, wait, what? I mean, you don't have a stronger opinion about this? And I, I really do, but I don't really feel like talking about it. I just kind of say, I'm a regular season guy. I'm, I'm for these 12 Saturdays that were guaranteed. I'm really tired of arguing and and bickering no one changes their stance you're either for expansion or you want to go nowhere or you want to go back in time who cares no one's changing their mind about that i have long since stated my opinion on that some of you agree with it some of you don't but we we don't control it and it's not happening right now what we do know is we got 12 saturdays each one of your teams you're gonna have at least 12 saturdays in the fall every given Saturday. That's what we focus on here. I guess that's what I'll try and focus on for the rest of the pod. But I did want to give you my thoughts on that because I got dozens and dozens and dozens of you asking what I thought about Kevin Warren's comments there at Big Ten Media Days. And so there you go. With that out of the way, we can dive into the mailbag here. Q7Dub, first up, he asks, which hot seat coaches based on schedule and returning talent can get off to the best start and cool down some of the hot seat talk? Now, what I did for a nice unbiased source on this is I went where anyone should go for this question, which is coacheshotseat.com. An, an, a domain name I wish I bought a long time ago, but I didn't. So now I'm just going to go to it and I'm going to plug them. The number one hot seat coach in America, according to coacheshotseat.com, uh, entering 2022 is Scott Frost. And that's the obvious answer, isn't it? Scott Frost in Nebraska, because they play a week zero game in Ireland. Not the biggest fan of location there, but they play against Northwestern. They can win that game, should win that game. If they don't, I mean, we're probably we're probably circling our answer as to who is not long for this world. But if Nebraska does win that game, they got a couple more winnable games, and then they have Oklahoma come in there. The Oklahoma game to me is not a must win or anything like that, but I think if Nebraska starts off 3-0 and or even 3-1 and with a competitive loss to Oklahoma, it already feels and looks much different than last year, doesn't it? Now, if they beat Oklahoma and they start 4-0, then certainly it's, it's just an entirely different conversation. Another guy on here is Jeff Collins of Georgia Tech. And I just, I don't know. That entire program's gone silent. Have you noticed that? They, they used to be, as coaches, very active on social media. Uh, there's been none of that. Now, you got to believe that that's on purpose. I'm sure that either they decided that themselves or someone around that program said, hey, 
Until we got results on the field, let's let's cut the chatter online off. But the vibe and sort of the die will be cast for them pretty early because you know who they opened with? On a Monday night in front of the world, no less, they opened with the Clemson Tigers in Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. That thing sold out. A lot of Clemson fans had to assist in that, I would assume. But that game sold out. Uh, they got Western Carolina the next week. And after that, they've got Ole Miss. They go to Central Florida. And then they go to Pitt. Those are out of the gate four games, one, two, three, four, that no one looks at and says they should win any of. You will not be picking Georgia Tech to upset Pitt on the road. You won't be picking them against Central Florida. I don't assume anyone wants a piece of Georgia Tech against Clemson or even Ole Miss either. So there are kind of two ways you can look at that. You can either say, well, I'm not going to fault them a big deal if they lose games they're not favored in, or you could say, yeah, but they've been there multiple years. That staff is in, what, year three or year four, whatever it is. They shouldn't be underdogs in all of those games. I mean, it's Georgia Tech football, several years into a staff, should not be an underdog against Gus Malzahn's UCF Knights, even on the road. I, and I would think that's fair. You know, you're welcoming Ole Miss into Atlanta. You shouldn't be an underdog at home against Ole Miss. It would be totally fair to say that. So if they're losing the games, my point is there's not going to be any sympathy just because they were a point spread underdog. And at that point, I mean, if we get into week five or we're going into week six and they've already dropped that many games, it's probably writing on the wall time for that staff too. Uh, the other one I'm kind of interested to see is Florida State uh, because I'm totally on the other side of the fence as anyone who is labeling Mike Norvell as being on the hot seat. I don't think he's on any kind of hot seat. So I've seen some of the lists out there. I'm looking at this one here. Now he's a little ways down the list, but he's still listed as one of the coaches on the hot seat, I don't get that feeling. But at the same time, I do want to feel the locals out after the first few games of the season. They get a week zero game before they play LSU. LSU will be playing their first game, but FSU gets a warm-up. They play that game against LSU in the Superdome, and it is a Sunday night game in week one. I just want to feel the game, really for both teams, want to feel the game. Uh, but those are some that I think could do themselves a great favor. I'm telling you, I don't think that Mike Norvell's on the hot seat, but we could erase all of that noise if they were to beat LSU in week one. That's kind of what I'm trying to say there. Football Aholic next up said, whose revamp or revival year matters more to their team? Bo Nix at Oregon, Spencer Rattler at South Carolina. This answer is so clearly Spencer Rattler at South Carolina, and I'm going to even use a phrase that we don't believe in on this show. This is how sure I am of this answer. The answer is Spencer Rattler, and it's not even close. And I cannot believe I just said that. Let me take a... Hmm. I had to wash my mouth out with caffeine, but I washed my mouth out after saying that. It's one of the phrases we don't believe in, if you're new around here, and it's not even close. And it's only because 99% of the time when someone says it, they're clearly talking about something that's close. But in this case, it's not close. If Bo Nix does not succeed at Oregon this year, it doesn't matter because of who they have coming in next year, and that's Dante Moore. This is a brand new coaching staff out there just getting their feet under him. If Bo Nix doesn't succeed, hey, maybe even Ty Thompson steps up this year. Remember that name? Feels like once upon a time ago. It's not that long ago. Ty Thompson, maybe he still has time to realize his potential there. My point is, even if it doesn't work out this year and Oregon loses five games, they've got Dante Moore. They've got the guy I think is the best quarterback in this cycle coming in. They just landed him a couple of weeks ago. So no matter what happens with Bo Nix this year, we know that's coming up for Oregon. With South Carolina, though, here's why it's important for Spencer Rattler. It's important for him because it's important for the entire future of South Carolina football. You see, that staff right now 
does not have a product that they can take on the road into the living room and land their own Dante Moore. They don't have the guy to point to and say, look at what we accomplished with him here. Now, if you come here, you could do the same. Now, you could argue that Oregon didn't have that either to get Dante Moore, but the point is they got him. So it's a moot point once you've landed him. So if Shane Beamer and his staff are going to go out and land a five-star quarterback with no product to put in front of them, okay, I'll shut up. But I just blindly assume, until you prove me otherwise, that you're going to need to be able to point to something you've accomplished. And that's where Spencer Rattler comes in. If you see South Carolina matching or topping last year's win total, if they put eight or nine wins on the board this year, if you're watching in week three and they pull a miracle upset over Georgia, you know, if they end up beating teams like Tennessee or like Kentucky and they put a couple of more wins on the board than the Vegas total in the preseason would indicate, kind of like they did last year, then it inevitably was because of Spencer Rattler. And he may go off to the NFL if he does that, for all we know. But even if he goes to the NFL... You have accomplished what you needed to accomplish. It has been such a mutually beneficial relationship. Spencer Rattler got to reinvent himself in Columbia after being benched at his former stop at Oklahoma. And South Carolina gets to take the Spencer Rattler project, if you will. Sounds like a documentary they would shop to Netflix and HBO Max. But instead, they get to take it on the road in recruiting and in recruiting the portal, by the way. They can look at a portal kid and say, you want to do what now? You want to reinvent yourself? You want to resurrect your career? You want to springboard to the NFL? Well, here's the place to do it. If you don't believe us, ask that guy over there. That's Spencer Rattler. He's playing on Sundays now. He's probably not there without South Carolina. And you can also obviously take it into high schools and say, if any opposing staff is telling you you can't accomplish everything you want to accomplish here, look at what Spencer Rattler did and look at what we did as a result of it. So I don't think that's close. I really don't. I think it's Spencer Rattler, He needed South Carolina, and man, South Carolina needs him this year. Next question, Joe asks, which teams have the most to lose weeks one through three? Immediately, Penn State comes to mind here. Penn State, I've talked about this a few times, they have a schedule that kind of sets up like it did last year. They go to Wisconsin in week one last year, they get beaten the box score, but they win the game. And then they come home and they beat Auburn in a close game in week three. Well, there went Penn State. They started 3-0. And then later, the injury at quarterback kind of derailed their season, but they got off to the hot start they needed to get off to. This year's schedule looks very similar. They go on the road to Purdue in week one. That's a Thursday night game. That is a standalone game. Well, in terms of big marquee games, it's a standalone game. Standalone meaning there's nothing opposing it, really. And so they get Purdue in week one. That's like a three or three and a half point spread. I think Penn State is slightly favored. Then they go to Auburn in week three. See, both of these big games in weeks one through three this year are on the road for them. You don't find many premier programs with two of their first three games being on the road, but that is the case with Penn State. If they drop that Purdue game, you have not felt pressure in a long time around James Franklin like there would be on him going to Auburn in week three. And you know what the pressure situation naturally is in Auburn. If it's a day that ends in Y, the coach is under immense pressure down there, but doubly so because it's Brian Harson and what happened this past February. Can you imagine the pressure cooker already in week three that those guys would be under if Penn State drops that week one game? And really, it'll be immense even if both of them are undefeated, but doubly especially if Penn State is already with a loss on the resume by the time they go in there. And then the way that game plays out will largely determine the trajectory of the rest of Penn State's season. Because see, there's a world where they start 3-0 and again, and then they're headed into conference play or back into conference play, and they got the entire world to play for, conference and beyond. But there's another world where 
by the time Ohio State goes to Penn State, they've already got three losses. And at that point, we're looking around and we're saying, what's the future of this program? Now, I will say this. I will say that even if Penn State's 2022 record doesn't quite measure up to what you want, this program does feel different to me. And it feels different because there is there, there are a couple of pieces, really, one important piece in the stable that you don't normally have. For the past several years, when you've said, man, Penn State's just not quite getting it done for me, you looked in the quarterback cupboard and said, yeah, and there's really no help on the way either. At least now, when you look at that cupboard, if Penn State is disappointing you, you can say, yeah, but there's finally a yeah, but here. And the but is there's a five-star quarterback waiting in the wings. I know they don't all pan out. I get that. But we haven't even had the guy to look at in the past. And all of a sudden, Drew Aller's over there. I mean, producer Jesse believes the dude's probably going to win two Heismans. And the only reason he won't win a third is because Nick Singleton, who's the other piece, the five-star tailback, who I think you'll see this year, is going to split votes with him. So there is a lot of hope and hype being invested. I don't think he's playing this year, Drew Aller at least, unless there's injury. But at least there's hope. So we're not going to reach a point this season where you got a few too many losses on the resume and there's no hope. At least you have one. Hopefully you've got hope this year and beyond, but at least you'll have hope beyond. Here is a really good question from Josh. He said, if you could wave a wand and set five programs to an elite level, who would you pick and why? From Trussville, Alabama, by the way. That's where Josh Hale's from. Uh, so I'm a, I'm a child of the 90s, and therefore that is going to heavily influence my decision-making. But also, you know... I like elite powers being spread across college football. That's not necessarily the way it's built right now. And I've got my own theories as to why that is. And they don't always sound as simple as some of my other colleagues make it sound. But that's not the question. The question is, who do we want to make elite? Right off the bat, Florida State and Miami, elite again. I'm burning two of my five on that rivalry. And what that does is twofold. Number one, it gives me big time consequential Canes versus Knowles again. But it also provides a ton of competition in the ACC. Think about how much more crowded that ACC title picture field is. And also, if we've got both of those playing at an elite level, picture how much more crowded the college football playoff picture looks. And thirdly, this is going to influence the rest of my answers too. If Florida State and Miami are elite, that means no longer is Alabama going to the South Florida and taking a whole bunch of talent. They still may take some, but they're not going to go and raid it. Neither is Ohio State, neither is Georgia, neither is Clemson. This has been a theme on late kick for a long time. If you want more competitive balance, you need to shore up the in-state recruiting efforts of teams like Florida State, Miami, and Florida. Next up, I would put Texas at an elite level. And I think that that would bode very well coming into the SEC, not only because, well, Texas and OU is already a good rivalry, but think about what it would be, Texas and Texas A&M. We're about to get that rivalry back, you know, and it may be next year. It may be two years from now, but whenever Texas and OU make the move to the SEC, we're going to get that rivalry back. People are discounting or they are underplaying how huge that rivalry is going to be. But even more so, if Texas actually is elite in this scenario, I just waved my wand and I made them elite. You've got the Iron Bowl in the SEC and you got Georgia, Florida. Those are really the two biggest rivalries right now from a national perspective. Texas OU it could end up being the biggest rivalry in the SEC from a national perspective. I don't mean if you live in Trussville, which is where Josh lives, and I'm not speaking in third person. The guy who asked the question is Josh. Love the name. 
not in Trussville, Alabama. That will never be the biggest rivalry there. And the Iron Bowl will never fade as a premier rivalry. But you got to understand something. Auburn right now is not a national power. Auburn has not been a national power for several years in the national college football public's eye. Texas A&M and Texas both could be that. And they both will recruit at a top 10 to maybe even top 5 level on average. Like recruiting is not going anywhere but up for those programs. And imagine them playing every year. It's the intensity of Texas and OU. Like Think about what the dynamic will be. A&M tried to get away from them, and they did. And then Texas comes and rejoins them. You've got so much off-field storyline type stuff that I know matters to a lot of people. The football is good enough for me. But if you need the story, boy, you got the story there. Texas also, if they are elite, their recruiting in-state ramps up. And the same thing I just said for South Florida applies to Texas. It becomes a lot harder, and it already is, but it becomes even harder for Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State, three teams that have thrived in Texas, to go in there and take as much talent. I'm moving out west. I definitely want USC to be an elite team. That's four, I think now, four out of five. I don't think I really need to go over the list again. It's the same reasons. I got to be honest with you. You know, I've taken heat, a fair amount of heat for my affinity for Notre Dame because I grew up in the South, the deep, deep South, and they teach you to hate Notre Dame there. And I've had kind of a reverence for the Notre Dame brand. I feel the same way about USC. I always have. Now, the added benefit that USC always had in my life was when I was a kid, I owned that Fleetwood Mac 1999 The Dance Reunion concert DVD. And USC's marching band performed with Fleetwood Mac on stage. So that turned me. It was not Matt Leinart. It wasn't Reggie Bush. It wasn't Pete Carroll. It was Fleetwood Mac and USC, the biggest collab in my childhood in 1997. That's what turned me. So I've, I've never been anti-USC from that point forward, but I just like the idea. When we were out in LA a few weeks ago, I just thought about the idea of that again being a place where you go from college football feeling like it's an afterthought to college football really moving the needle. Even in Los Angeles, California, those of you who live out there, you understand how hard it is to do what I just talked about. But then again, those of you who live out in LA or Southern California know in the early 2000s, it was the place to be. I think if you're in college right now, you've seen some of the highlights, but what you've seen is you've seen Reggie Bush. You know, you've seen the highlight of Vince Young taking down USC and people telling you that 05 Rose Bowl is the best game they've ever seen. But that's really the extent of your catalog and your memory. You didn't live it. And let me assure you, if you did not live it, the Coliseum, the LA Coliseum on Saturdays was a spectacle. You had celebrities lining the sidelines. I mean, people you would never even think could spell college football. People who probably couldn't even name the mascot of half the teams in the Pac-12, they're on the sideline. It is true what people say about them when they are elite. It's not hyperbolic. It's just that they haven't been elite in a long time. So when you hear people say, I hear Cowherd say this all the time, when you hear people say, boy, when USC's rolling, they have a different vibe than any program in America. He is so spot on correct with that. It's just been so long. It's been like 20 years that no one really knows what that means anymore. Now, the older crowd does, but if you're in college, if you're in high school, if you're a young adult, if you're in your early 20s, you don't know what that means. I would love to wave my wand and let you find out what that means. I'm telling you, it's turning on a USC game. If USC is ranked in the top three, top four, and they're in the playoff hunt, 
You, you have never seen anything that looks like what that place would look like. There are seats in that place, in that building, the LA Coliseum, that have not been darkened in over a decade, unless you had a concert out there, that all of a sudden would be going for 200 bucks a pop on StubHub. It changes out there. When it changes, it really changes. But what about my fifth program? Now, I wanted to be a wild card here. I mean, I wanted to go way off the radar. And so naturally, I did ACC schools. I got an SEC or a future SEC. I've got a Pac-12 there. So I've either got to go Big Ten or i got to go Big 12. And I think I'm going to go Big Ten. And I really wanted to go Iowa State now, but I'm not going to put you through that. I want to go Michigan State. I want to make Michigan State an elite team because of what that would mean. If Michigan State ends up being an elite program, that means the Mel Tucker recruiting vision and strategy has broken through. And he has convinced a critical mass of elite high school talent to do what you didn't think was possible. And that is uproot nationally. He's got to do this nationally and relocate to East Lansing, Michigan. Voluntarily play your college ball in East Lansing, even when you got other options that the rest of the world will tell you are far better for a college football experience. If that were to happen... It adds to the intrigue of the Big Ten picture, but also it creates a new model, doesn't it? It creates a model for everyone out there that tells you, well, if you're not Alabama or Ohio State or Clemson, the sport's leaving you behind. Well, Michigan State, they don't buy that now. And certainly this would just be validity to that if it were to turn out this way. Like, I love what they're doing because they're not accepting what the rest of the sport is telling them. They're, They're not accepting the fate that the rest of the world tells them they have to accept. They're really, really serious. If you don't believe that, take a look at how they recruit. I'm not telling you they're top five every year. I'm telling you, look at how they're recruiting. Look at where they're recruiting. Look at how much money they're paying Mel Tucker. If you don't think that's serious, I don't really know how you define serious. So you give me, you give me FSU in Miami, give me Texas, give me USC, and give me Michigan State, a wild card fifth team there. And I would wave my wand and make all of them elite. I also think out of left field entirely, if we made Hawaii elite, people would just have no clue what to do. I think it would upset the gambling crowd because some of you out there are used to betting the Hawaii game and staying up. You know, you're, you're, you tell your wife you're coming to bed and then you sneak out of bed and then go watch Hawaii sweat it out until 3 a.m. Eastern time. So you're trying to hit that second half under. But if Hawaii were elite, more eyeballs would be on Hawaii games and more people would be betting Hawaii games, and you probably wouldn't get soft lines like you do right now, and it would probably mess some of you up. So actually, let me not even wave my wand towards Hawaii. You guys, now the more I think about it, you got a lot going on for you out there. Hawaii does not need elite college football any more than you need this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Got him! 
It's a sport for me at this point. I'm sorry. It's a sport at this point. You really didn't think we were getting that deep in the podcast without having a swerve bro. If you get it, you get it. Ad toss thrown your way, did you? No, you did not. Will is up next. Will said, at what point in the year should one be concerned about their school's recruiting class lagging behind? Is now now about that time? As kids look to shut it down and focus on their high school season? Will... I guess it has to do with two things. Number one, what are your expectations? If you expect a top 10 class and your class is in the 50s, it's not a fun time right now. Also, the calendar is shifting. And it could just be that your staff is behind the curve. Uh, I guess I said two. There is a third factor in play. And that is some of the bigger dogs, a and I'm thinking about specifically right now because they're in the news for their low recruiting ranking. Some of these big dog programs, they get to choose when they move. And so Texas A&M is kind of a case study. We're going to find out if I'm right about this. Right now, as I record on Tuesday night, Texas A&M's got the 58th ranked class in America per the 24-7 sports team rankings. It looks like a typo. No, it's 58th. But here's the thing. They've got a grand total of, what, six kids? Yeah, they got six kids committed right now. They don't have their class. And so you either believe one of two things. You either believe that Texas A&M recruiting has just shut down and they can't land anyone a few months after landing the top-rated class of all time, or you believe, like I do, they're not ready to move yet. And I'm right. Let me just spoil the ending for you. I'm right here. They're not going to land the number one class in the country, so I'm also right about that. But Texas A&M is going to end up either bordering on the top 10 or with a top 10 class, and they'll make several big moves late, and you'll look at it and you'll, you'll realize when they make the moves they could have made that move whenever they wanted to. And by move, I mean really push a kid to commit. They could have made that move whenever they want to. Here's what I think. My theory is they realized with how successful their approach is last year that they could choose to do that whenever they want to this year. And so I think they're going to choose to wait a little bit later to do it because if you know you can get a certain kid Why not wait a little bit deeper into his senior year? Why not wait until you get to maybe evaluate some of his senior year more closely? Why not? Now, the why not, since you're not here to answer that, I'll answer it for you. Here's the why not. You just mentioned it, Will. A lot of kids are already locking their recruitment down. That is true. That is true. So if I were an A&M fan, that's what would worry me. The effectiveness of my staff wouldn't worry me so much. It just may be that my highly effective staff potentially could be choosing... An, a, a wrong approach, shall we say. Not the best approach. Because what if we wait to move and then several kids that we would have been able to move on have chosen after they commit to Texas or they commit to Oklahoma or Alabama to shut their recruitment down? Because that does happen. I mean, that, that may happen this cycle on them. But I just, I cannot in any world foresee a scenario where they go from finishing number one overall to outside like the top 15 or 20. I cannot see that. Absolutely cannot. So having said that, if I were running Pate State, for example, if I were our recruiting coordinator or our head coach here, and I'm the chancellor, so I leave that to our coaches, but at Pate State, I'd want to be moving. I'd do it like, for instance, Ohio State's done it. I'd do it like Alabama's doing it. I'd be moving on kids right now uh, because that's how the recruiting calendar has adjusted. You know, I would be treating these big summer visit weekends as also commitment weekends. I would be pushing to lock kids down. Now, you got to be really sure of your evaluations. It used to be that that was unheard of, moving on your entire class before their senior year in high school, but that's the way it is now because of the early signing day. Kids have moved their visit schedule up. A lot of kids, especially the elite kids, 
A lot of them want to lock down their commitment before they even start their senior year and have that security. And so, you know, I think Texas A&M, because of that, is a pretty good case study right now. Ice chest, next question. What's the best case scenario for Baylor this year? I'm, maybe I'm out on an island on this. I find Baylor to be a very fascinating program. They won the Big 12 last year, and I think they just came out of nowhere on people. You don't get to do what I do. I wish you did. You don't get to sit in rooms with these coaches. You don't get to go to different games every week and stand on the sideline, experience all that stuff. That's why I try and take you with me as much as I can via the iJosh. But when we went to the Baylor-Oklahoma game last year, it was pretty eye-opening for me for two reasons. Number one, we got to be part of a field storming. And number two, I, we got to hang out and, and get a little intel and a little behind-the-scenes peek at how Dave Aranda thinks and how he operates. And man, he is paid State material. Through and through, Dave Aranda is the man. Love Dave Aranda. I think that this year, they're a wild card team again. Because the question is, what's the best case scenario for them? Their best case scenario is winning the Big 12, pushing for a playoff spot. They have, I think, the fourth best odds to win it this year at plus 600, the Big 12, to win the Big 12. They're plus 600. So they're behind OU. They're behind Texas. Who would the third team be? Uh, Oklahoma State. They're behind Oklahoma State, too. So Baylor's at plus 600. They had the second to worst odds in the conference last year, and they won it. So odds mean nothing to them. I think a lot of folks, rightly so, are looking at the fact that they're replacing a quarterback. But you need to zoom in on that. You need to understand not all replacing quarterback situations are the same because they could have chosen to have last year's starting quarterback. Uh, Gary Bohannon, for those of you unfamiliar, was told during spring practice or at the conclusion of it by Dave Aranda, you're not our starter. He got beat out. Just clean, got beat out in spring practice. Now, how many times do you hear that happening? At the very least, most coaches want to keep that illusion of a quarterback battle because they want adequate depth in the fall. And so normal coaches would have said, well, we're in a tight quarterback battle here and we'll go into fall and we'll decide it on the field, blah, blah, blah. I wouldn't even have a problem with that. But man, Dave Aranda said, nope, I owe it to him. He won us the Big 12 title last year. I owe it to him, to be honest. And he told Gary Bohannon, you are not the starting quarterback here right now. Exiting spring, you have been beat out. And Gary Bohannon transferred. But that's not what most of the country sees. Most of the country sees, ah, the quarterback's not there anymore. Plus, they'll fall back to earth just because that has to happen, apparently, with everyone. You know what I see? I see them admitting they have a better option at quarterback than the one that won them the conference last year. And they have their entire defensive front back, which wreaked havoc on opposing backfields last year. That's what I see. I don't doubt the secondary will be good under Dave Aranda. And with the way Grimes and that entire crew started calling games last year, and with their in-game decision-making rapidly improving last year from a year before that, I don't doubt the overall philosophy of the program. I certainly don't doubt Dave Aranda's overarching philosophy. I think they could win the conference last year. In fact, over the past two minutes, I may have talked myself into a little action on Baylor to win the conference. Now, that's what can happen here, guys. It's, it's Sometimes this podcast is way more informative for me than it ever will be for you. But yeah, Baylor can win the conference this year. And if they do, who knows if they may be in playoff contention for all we know. I'm a big Baylor guy, though. Love, love where the program's headed. So I wanted to wait until the end because I don't want to clog up the beginning of this thing with talking about shop business. But those of you who have been asking about the late kick store, we opened it. What my goal is, is to make sure I don't plaster stuff about our merchandise all over my social feeds and all over the shows, because that's not ever going to be what it's about. Uh, we are not going to clutter up our content with all that mess. It is something we're doing. 
It's something that you asked me for for two years. It's something I had to negotiate with management to get. And I did that and we opened it. We've opened it three times. The store has been open a combined 90 minutes. And all three times you have totally drained it. And that's a good problem to have. It's a problem I'm addressing. Very soon we'll just be able to keep the store open. And at that point we'll also really, really be updating inventory pretty quickly. I mean, there are a lot of good concept ideas that we have. There are a ton of products that will be in that store very soon that aren't right now. I just wanted to put enough on the shelves, I wish I could have, put enough on the shelves to appease you to open it. And uh, some, of our, some of our items have been really hot. So I'll be updating that. But what I wanted you to know is, if you follow on my social channels, at Late Kick Josh, you will know when I open that thing up. I don't want to make a big deal about it and, and you know announce it again because we were sold out in 10 minutes when I did that. So our diehard fans, our diehard audience, our P1s, I want you guys to have first access. And the best way I know to do that is, I guess, set text alerts or not text alerts, set email alerts. You can go to PateStateMaterial.com and I think right there on the home screen, you can sign up for an email alert when I open that store. You can also just follow me on Twitter and set tweet alerts. Although that could get aggravating. Even I do not advise one to do that. But if you really want to be in the know whenever that happens, that's the best way. At Late Kick Josh. But look, it is beyond the wildest success that we ever thought we could have with that store. So I appreciate that. It, we have only just begun on that. There are going to be some things in there that I think you guys will really, really love. And if there's something in there you don't love, I'm yanking it off the shelves. No hurt feelings here. We're doing it for you. We're not doing it for us. So I appreciate you guys. I got to get this sent off so it can be cut up by... Guess who? Producer Jordan. For one show only, Producer Jordan back in the building. There he is at the door. Producer Jordan, here you go. Do your best. So for Producer Jordan, one night only, I'm Josh Pate. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your day. And as always, God bless. It is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount Plus. What brings you to the Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the South Side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com/slash The Shy to get a fifty percent discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July fourteenth. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply.